Season 1, Episode 24 of the Choir Room Podcast. Welcome to the Choir Room. I'm Greg Thomas, your host, and I'll soon be joined by my co-hosts, Dorian Johnson. Welcome to the Choir Room. Mieta farrar and who we like to call the fourth wheel, Coleman Smart. This podcast is a production of Metro Music and Arts, whose purpose is to perpetuate and promote the Christian and positive idea through the medium of music and other arts. This podcast exists to promote and encourage two longtime traditions in our society that seem to be dwindling away, and that is choir and corporate singing. We hope to revive the excitement and joy experienced with singing in a choir, as well as inform and educate the listener on all things singing and all things choir. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast by sending the word subscribe to the choir room at metromusic-arts.com or you can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts and then do us a favor while you're there leave us a five-star review leave us your comments and share with a friend that you're in the choir room welcome to the choir room we are now into the fall season and there's some things in the planning with Metro Music and Arts and the choir room specifically that we'd like to keep you informed about and have you participate in. Now the first one is a monthly event that we've been working on for some time now that's going to afford you an opportunity to come together for singing, connection, and fellowship. It's going to be a very special time and you can look forward to getting more information about participation if you are subscribed to this podcast. Secondly, be on the lookout for the upcoming Choir Room Theme Song Contest. Welcome to the Choir Room. (laughs) Now that's just part of it. You can hear the full version at the top of this podcast. Now what started out as a regional call to just a few choirs to record the theme song, it has blossomed into somewhat of a national reach now that we're getting responses from people around the country. And we're glad to report that we've got a couple of sponsors and donors who have made this somewhat of a contest. And so there will be prizes and gifts for the best recordings of the Choir Room theme song. If you want to stay in the know, you have to subscribe to the Choir Room at metromusic-arts.com. And then finally, if you like to sing and you like to learn and you like to have fun doing it, mark your calendars for Monday, October 16th at 7 p.m. right here in the Choir Room. Vocal coach and YouTube sensation and a dear friend of mine, Tara Simon with Tara Simon Studios will be joining us again right here in the choir room with live demonstration, live evaluation, and vocal tips for all of our choir room listeners. That's what's coming up in the next few weeks. Now let's hear another tip from David and Elizabeth Norfrey. David, talk to us about the parallels and the similarities that you've discovered between the handbell choir and the vocal choir. There are, there's over seven octaves of handbells uh, in, uh, in existence. And so, you know, we're rivaling almost the, the, the piano keyboard. And so where you can, you can with two hands and your brain tuned into the Holy Spirit can, can cover all those 88 keys and, you know, and lead us up, you know, from one, one person's um, brain and body um, but this is an instrument that takes more people. So you have to have at least usually nine or more. You know, it's a different it's a different experience than a vocal choir, but it requires all the same kinds of listening and willingness to work together and, you know, 
no no uh, grandstand stars because everybody's gotta gotta work together so if you can imagine playing your melody of amazing grace or whatever even to play the melody you cannot do that with one person so you know the the melody of amazing grace has to cover several people's positions at the table so even to play just the melody requires cooperation it requires willingness it requires listening it requires you know and and which note is more important you know um which one gets a little more emphasis well if you know the wrong person emphasizes it sounds like we're you know emphasis on the wrong syllable so it's just an amazing team building kind of experience and if everybody's willing it can be just uh, you know an amazing experience um and you know but then you have challenges like somebody leaves the group moves away then you have to bring in a new person and you have to get them up to speed you know and it takes a while it's a team it's a team uh, sport we started sharing about um this idea of the body of christ the the church being the body of christ and and the idea out of first corinthians 12 where uh we're in one body but we have many members and so the bell choir was a perfect um example of that <laughs> because if one person isn't there you can't play in peace so a, a lot of time you know how, how often is everybody there i mean honestly right so um the director is almost always covering somebody's spot and that you can do you can kind of cover one person's spot and keep the group together but if two people are missing you're kind of up a creek because you know you can't cover everything i mean i would try to direct and i they were on the other side of the table and i would have a few bells of the people that were missing i'd have them in front of me and i was trying to cover you know and listen and everything but it doesn't work you have to have everybody it's it's not like a section where you know you have 10 altos and two are missing of course you notice it's important but it's not important in the same way like the fact that it's just not there anymore so we would go out and we would do we would share that and share how you know each member of the body is important so we that became our kind of um our kind of witness or our tagline you know is that that we would always do that as part of and the way i would do it was i'd have uh somebody step out so i'd say okay let's we're going to play them here's the melody so we play it the way it was and then we'd have a person step out here's the melody without that person and of course people noticed something's missing and then let's put two people step out and of course you know after a while it becomes you know kind of like a piano with all you know five broken keys where you can't you can't actually play the melody at all anyway so it was it was a great a great tool i think different people in the choir have different roles different purposes like some somebody may be a fantastic sight reader but somebody may just have a really beautiful, strong voice, but not be that strong a sight reader, but just be vocally strong. Somebody may be so faithful that they're just a model example person. 
Um, and so everybody, like you said, everybody's important. And, you know, over the years, I've seen that people, you know, have their, their different roles. And, and this first Corinthians 12 is just so important. The, you know, the hand can't say the Mm-hmm. I don't need you, you know, and, and, and even like it says the, the hidden parts are important yeah. too in the passage. And, mm-hmm. you know, so sometimes even like somebody who's the weakest singer, maybe like a prayer warrior, you know, a really powerful community glue, you know, so it's, you know, it's just a, it's a fascinating thing, you know, just the unseen. Dorian has our hymn of the week. Thanks, Greg. This week's hymn of the week is perhaps the most famous hymn ever written, John Newton's Amazing Grace. This hymn has been translated into countless languages, and by one biographer's account, and I cannot confirm this, but they actually said that this hymn is sung 10 million times annually. And if we consider all of the different venues that this hymn is sung in, both in the church as well as in secular circles, it's quite possible that that it is sung that, that many times. But as we consider this timeless hymn, we would be amiss if we didn't consider the testimony of its writer. Although he was born into a Christian home, John Newton lived a life of sin as a sailor and eventually even became a slave trader a near-drowning experience that he had as his ship was in danger when he was in his early 20s, factored into his conversion, and six years later, he gave up the slave trade and would eventually join forces with William Wilberforce to end the English slave trade, uh, which became a reality in 1807. He became a pastor and famously uh, was a caretaker for William Cooper, who uh, whose hymns we have looked at previously and will look at in the future as well. But this hymn parallels the arc of what we hear in Titus chapter 2, verses 11-13, which takes us from justification at conversion to sanctification through to glorification. This is what Titus 2, 11-13 says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And we see that same progression when we look at the arc of this hymn. We go from conversion to the sanctifying or progressive work that God does in each of our lives through to glorification. We see conversion depicted in the first two verses where we're we're told, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we think of the grace of God, it cannot be truly amazing unless we realize how undeserving of it we are. We are all wretches. All mankind is unworthy of anything but God's condemnation. And yet, the one who was lost was found. The one who was blind was made to see. And that same grace that taught us to fear God 
is the same grace that relieved our fears as the salvation that only comes through Christ was made known to us and applied to our lives effectively by the Holy Spirit. And we know that once we start living the Christian life, we are not promised an easy life. We're told in verses 3 and 4 of the many dangers and toils and snares that we face as Christians. But the grace of God has not only kept us, but promised us to bring us to the expected end that God has for us. And it's not an expected end that we are not aware of. For God's word tells us that God is conforming us to the image of his son. And that until he brings us to that place, he will preserve his people. Then finally, in verses 5 and 6, we are reminded of the fact that we all must face death. And verse 5 says, yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. For the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to enter in to the blessedness of our Lord and Savior. And then in verse 6, we are pointed to the eternal state when we and millions of others and billions of others will be around the throne worshiping God. And listen to the the poignancy of this last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The amazing grace of God will take eternity for us to praise. And the 10,000th year, the 10,000th year that we praise him for his grace will ju- be just the beginning of the praise that he is worthy of. We're, we're reminded of that great grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can boast of nothing but the grace of our God. And we thank him for his amazing grace shown in bringing us to himself by the finished work of Christ, of making us more like Christ each and every day, and of the blessed hope and the promise that we will indeed spend all of eternity with him when we either die and go home to be with him or when Christ returns triumphantly. Let us praise God's amazing grace. Did you just... Teach me a new verse to Amazing Grace a second ago, because there was one that I don't think I'd ever heard before. Oh, really? Maybe Hmm. the third one or something? I don't know. Not through many dangers. No, I've heard that one. It was before that. There's also, the Lord has promised good to me as word my hope secures. Uh You know that one? Uh And then there's, uh, yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease. Never heard that one. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Well, I'm I've got my red back hymnal right here. I'm gonna pull it out and see see if there's if that's in there. Uh, You think I'm lying. (laughs) Check and see if you were cheated. Right. right. I'll see if yeah, I got cheated. (laughs) 
Now, you won't find it in every hymnal, but typically in the Methodist and or the Presbyterian hymnal. Presbyterian, yeah. Oh, yeah. And typically not in the Baptist hymnal. Yeah, the Trinity hymnal revised edition. Yep. So, Coleman, is it in there? Oh, no, no. No, we don't have that. Uh -uh. So you should add it. You should add it. (laughs) Yeah. This is this is a closed canon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Send it to your team. Right. And tell them you're going to do it on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, what? So here we are again this evening with our CRQ, and the CRQ is this. What is your opinion about the church choir changing the lyrics to a popular pop song and singing them in church? What is your opinion about the church choir changing the lyrics to a popular pop song and singing them in the church? Mm. My short answer? (laughs) Negative. (laughs) <laughs> negative, you say. <laughs> negative. Uh, negative. And and I can I'll say that because I tried that and it fell flat. And I do mean flat. I regret it to this very day. <laughs> Back in the in the nineties when I don't know if if any of you even know this, but in the nineties it was somewhat of a popular thing to take some of the pop songs and incorporate incorporate them in some of our gospel music mm-hmm. and so you know, gospel has done some really tragic stuff over the yeah. years <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is the very word i use today because of it tragic and and it did that you not necessarily with a sunday morning type setting we did that for our special things like choir anniversaries so we would do something special like um i remember uh, remember the time Michael Jackson, remember the time? Well, actually, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Bell, he actually wrote that. Well, well, he was a part of the, the creative process of that. Um, we took that song and made it our marching song. Your marching song. Now, and you're probably thinking, well, what exactly is a marching song? Well, <laughs> the marching song was the choir, the host choir, the, the honorees of the evening with march in that night and sing a song and it was a big it was a big thing the big thing that we would do and i changed i didn't think it through and i let someone talk me into changing some of the lyrics to that song yeah it it just just it did man in the mirror it was no no no, remember remember the time time. oh remember Remember the the time i was remembering the time Weird, right? You have to have been to enough anniversaries and special events where there are processionals to yeah, even understand, understand why that, that was yeah. why the attempt. <laughs> and it was more musical than it was lyrical. It was it was just a lot of music involved and a few lyrics that were it just negative. It just and I never did it again. I never did it again. And I and I I had to learn as time went on that when you do things like that. Um, you don't realize um, what you're doing. You you could be messing with the integrity of of gospel music when you start to do things like that. So you have to be very 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 careful. Even with hymns, I've I've seen people change lyrics to hymns to fit 
if if you have to do things like that, then perhaps use another song. Find another selection that will best fit and suit whatever the occasion or the moment may call for. Because, you know, I doing things like that for me, for me, it just messes with the integrity a lot of times. So what say you? <laughs> well, <laughs> get in, get in. Go ahead. I, I think it's a definite no. I agree with Mietta. Uh, there's no way that you can think that changing the lyrics to a popular pop song and bringing it to a worship service is going to minister to the hearts of the people or touch the heart of God. Especially when you consider the fact that this is a popular pop song and everybody who listens to pop music is going to recognize it. And so there's no way that we can convince ourselves that superimposing the name of God or Jesus over that content is going to change the meaning of the song. Okay. That song is going to sound like and mean what it always meant to the listener yeah. when they first heard it. Yeah. Now, they'll definitely receive some level of entertainment out of it, but that doesn't minister. And then finally, my concern is that if the choir director is going to continue to try to grab that which is considered unholy or ungodly and try to graft it into the church experience, it doesn't compel men and women to want to come to the house of God because it starts to look, feel, sound, smell like what they're already doing. And so if the church house sounds like the clubhouse, why leave the clubhouse? So I think that um, more often than not, when churches do try to do something like this, it tends to be more corny or cringy than they anticipated it being. And it's a little embarrassing. Cheesy is the New York term. Yeah, cheesy. (laughs) Um, And so I think that ends up hurting you more than it helps you. Um, Second, when you sing a song from a pop artist or any kind of artist like that, kind of like what you were just saying, Greg, it's almost like an endorsement of <laughs> of that uh, in a way, because you're right. People are thinking about that the whole time. Um, and then lastly, there are so many songs out there in in christendom that you could choose from that communicate the same message and probably Mm -hmm. do it in a more clear concise and god-centered way like it was written for the purpose of you know accomplishing that goal (laughs) um so i i don't think that we have to go there because we have so many options um but I mean, one one thought that I do have that's not completely negative about it is I've seen some churches do some special things on uh, on a day like Father's Day, for instance. I've heard um, a church that I once was at for a while do a, a special song that was like a tribute to dads it, that was mm-hmm. actually an inspirational song and it wasn't meant for worship. Um, it was like an inspirational moment in in the thing. And it was not um, like one of those really questionable right, morality, right. like artist kind of situations. So I've seen that kind of thing work and accomplish a purpose outside of the confines of worship and trying to encounter God. And that, uh, you know what I mean? Um, so. I can see that kind of working, but if you're trying to use it in a worship 
set or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm going to err on the side of no as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because it, it doesn't minister. It, no, it's it, one thing it to doesn't. be doing ministry and then it's another thing just to be singing a song. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, you know, that example. Yeah. 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 Well, I probably to the surprise of no one here immediately said no, <laughs> but, but then I thought really, really quickly because there are hymns that are to the music of, it's true. of, of classical music that aren't sure. necessarily Christian. Absolutely. So take a hymn, like be still my soul. Mm-hmm. That's typically sung to the tune of Sibelius's Svinlandia. Right. Um, there are other tunes that were written by, by composers who weren't Christians that are used. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the key here is lyrics to songs that have already been written. Exactly. And mm-hmm. we're living in this age of technology where we've yes. got the recordings of yes. these modern day ones. Right. And so these were just pieces of music upon which these lyrics were placed. So it's what's in the lyrics that mm-hmm. are the focus and people may know that particular tune but i have a qbq what's the a question uh, behind, behind the question, the question. <laughs> I get, uh, because what is the motive when we are doing that yeah yeah when you're taking popular music secular music and changing the lyrics to adapt them to a church setting and the apostle paul admonishes the corinthians for relying upon worldly wisdom bringing the world's Mm. thoughts the world's ideas all of those things into the church and i i would say that the motive often for doing that is relevancy it's to make oneself yeah. seem relevant, to make oneself seem like we know where certain people are, but ultimately, church is for the church. Right. Church is for the church. That's good. That right there. That's really good. And on that note of this week's CRQ, thanks, Dorian, Mieta, and Coleman. And to our listeners, be reminded of the announcements made earlier in this podcast. And remember, if ever we put the messenger before the message, we have failed to present an unblemished gospel. I'm Greg Thomas. Join us again next week right here in the choir room.